key message from this morning is that documentation is primary. And uh, I'd like to thank Dr. Samir because he's already mentioned Arches and he's already mentioned one of our funders, uh, the Arcadia Fund, and pointed out Dr. Maya Kaminko. But we're also funded by the Cultural Protection Fund, part of the British Council, and there are two representatives from the British Council, at least two of them here, Sally Smith and Alexander Bishop, and they're somewhere in the audience. But do talk to them. Um, as you can see on the slide there, the Endangered Archaeology in the Middle East and North Africa project, which you can pronounce any way you like. I say Amina. Um, I've got a friend who is dyslexic who calls it Enema, but let's not talk, we'll talk about that. It's based in the University of Oxford, Leicester and Durham. We began in 2015. We have funding until 2020, but we are hoping to continue in some form or other after that. And the website is there on the screen. Just a little bit of background, two things to say really. One is, as archaeologists, we don't know where all the sites are. Now that may come as a surprise to non-archaeologists because they like to think experts know everything. We don't know where all the sites are. That's the purpose of the Endangered Archaeology in the Middle East and North Africa project, to find archaeological sites that are under threat. And the second thing is to monitor change. All archaeological sites, all landscapes undergo change. And this is just an example from Britain, um, because I wouldn't want you to think that the only endangered archaeology in the Middle East and North Africa, or rather the, the only archaeology that's endangered is, is in the Middle East and North Africa. We are damaging our archaeology just as well in Britain, thank you very much, uh, and in Europe. There's Stonehenge from 1906, and then also in 2017, showing over 100 years of change. And the other point to make about that slide is, it doesn't matter where the source is. So the first photograph was taken from a balloon. So it could be from a balloon, a drone, a photograph, or a satellite. But it's recording the landscape below. And, and our expertise is interpreting that information. In a lot of Britain and Europe, our sites are buried, and we call them crop mark sites. And, and one of the reasons they're buried is as a result of the intensification of agriculture. So the sites get buried, and also, Unlike the Middle East, North Africa, sorry, rather, unlike the Middle East, North Africa, something survives. When, when an upstanding earthwork or stonework site is destroyed, it's gone forever. And that's one of the differences between Europe and the Middle East. Um, there's been a long history of aerial archaeology throughout the Middle East and North Africa. Here's just one example from 1949, uh, which proves that getting into an aeroplane and taking photos works. Other evidence that it's works, David Kennedy and, I, Kennedy and I have been working for over 20 years now in Jordan and still continuing that. Over 100,000 aerial photographs on the APAMI website. And I'm sorry about that stray G that's gone over there, that's just a formatting problem. But if you look at the APAMI website, you can see all our work. Um, and one of the things that struck me when we were flying around Jordan was just the pace of change in the landscape. So here's a site here in Jordan that we photographed in 1998. And the site that, have we got a laser pointer on here? No, not really. Um, but the site just by the reservoir, whoops, that's gone on too fast. There's a reservoir down in the, in the center bottom. Just above it, you'll see there's an early Islamic caravanserai. We were flying around the next year, and I said to David, let's just take a photograph. He said, no, we did it last year. And then we photographed it, and the caravanserai had been completely destroyed. Uh, destroyed for agriculture, that's an olive plantation. So one of the reasons we continued the reconnaissance was to try and monitor the archaeology. 
I won't talk about that, haven't time. Um, so what are we doing about it? As a result of the aerial archaeology project being based in the University of Oxford, um, through various contacts and people in Arcadia and Professor Andrew Wilson, who's here with us, had a conversation about the possibility of looking at satellite imagery to discover and document damage and destruction. So I've called it here a voyage of discovery and document, uh, voyage of discovery and documenting damage and destruction. That sounds very depressing. We do actually find a lot of archaeology that isn't destroyed and that isn't damaged, and that's what makes it interesting. But the, the purpose of the project is to record the archaeology, the most significant archaeology that's under threat. And so uh, Arcadia funded us, and we started in 2015. This you can see on our website as well, five of the main areas of uh, damage and destruction. There isn't time to go into them today, uh, but as you can see, uh, agriculture, conflict, construction, looting, and natural erosion. And the one thing I want to emphasize is that, and, and it's been said before this morning, I think it was Zaki that said it, about the, um, the difference between what happens when there is a moment, either in conflict or ISIS uh, damaging something, there is massive media campaign. But if all you're saying is that the vast majority of archaeology is destroyed or damaged as a result of agriculture, it's not a press story. But actually, that's what's going on every day, and that's why we think our, our project is very important. Um, there it is again in summary of what we're doing. Uh, identify, understand, and monitor endangered archaeology. But it is remote sensing. So it is rapid. So the records we create are not detailed records. And that's why when I come to the end to talk about training, that's really important. Because a group of people based in Oxford, Leicester, and Durham can only do so much. We ha we've heard it today already, but the local community is important. The people in each of the countries who value their cultural heritage, they're the key people, and they're the people we want to either uh, transfer our information to and work with and train. And that's a, that's a key message in the, in the whole project. Um, this slide really surprises me. We prepared this slide for an internal seminar that we had in Oxford on Tuesday. And if you add up all the names on that slide, which you're not going to have time to do because I'm going to move on very quickly, there are 35 names on there. When I was asked to be involved in this project, I thought we'd be a small team of three, four, five, maybe even 10. But there are 35 people involved in the project, which is great, but it keeps me awake at night, I have to say. Um, and the other thing that keeps me awake at night is that it's a huge area. It's everywhere from Mauritania in the west to Iran in the east. And again, at this seminar that we had in Oxford the other day, they said, can't we do Mali and the Sudan and Afghanistan and all these other countries? Now, oh, hold on, and then what about Turkey? Yes, fine, we're just doing 20 countries, just 20 countries. Look at the size of them, it's huge. How did we ever get into this? Um, but the, point, the, the, the most important point of that slide is that those are our sources up the top there in terms of the freely available imagery that we can get sitting at a desk. So all you need is a computer and the internet. That may not sound a lot, um, or in some countries may sound too much, but it means there's a huge amount of information that's freely available. Um, and there, just a summary of, of the sources, historic maps, historic air photographs, current air photography when we can do it, and historic and current satellite imagery. And uh, the challenges that we have, the first question you have to look at, is it archaeology? Where do you put the pin? Are the features related? What are the disturbance and threats, and how do, you, how do you assess them? And where do I draw the site boundary? And they've got to do all that in a minute, because that's all we give them. 
Usually they take a bit longer, but it is, it is a rapid process. It's the, you can't spend too long doing it. Samir's mentioned our, the, the database, uh, um, the software Arches. We've built our own database, and uh, with many thanks to Andrea. I was going to thank him for organizing the conference, but I haven't time. But thank you for organizing the conference, Andrea. Uh, but also, he's the man when it comes to the database. So if you've got any questions about the database, Andrea is the person. Sorry about that. Uh, while you're here, there isn't time to go into the detail of, of the records but it is a, a textual record, so there's text and also the visual representation of the boundary of the site, where a boundary is drawn. Sometimes it's just a dot on a map. I was going to play you a lovely little thing there, but there isn't time, never mind. And I was going to tell you about some great work that Nicole Sheldrick did in the Eastern Desert, but I'll just show you three slides very quickly. Of Here you can see the Eastern Desert of Egypt in 2010. Uh, this is an ancient uh, mining site an area landscape with, with precious metals. And this is the change in two years, that's to 2012, and then 2013. And as if that isn't bad enough, that's it in 2016. So massive change in the landscape in certain places. So we've got to prioritize where we do our work and how we do our work. Um, and there's the overall distribution of the uh, rec records to date. Um, every day I ask how many have we done, and it's now over 180,000 records. Um, which is a massive achievement for the team. Um, and all those records will be used and enhanced as time goes on, which is why the training was really important. One thing I meant to do was to work out, we've covered 729,375 square kilometers. Uh, in Britain, we like to compare everything to the size of Wales, uh, which is a small country to the uh, west of England. I'm not sure which country covers 729,000 square kilometers, but there must be a country that's about that size. I'll look it up on the internet later. Um, and again, there isn't time to go into this, but we can look at the different types of site. And as you can see, the most common one we have, a small mound in Cairns, which may be to do with Dr. Jenny Bradbury because she likes small mounds in Cairns and buried things. Uh, but also, there are many of them and they are visible. So we record far more about dead people than we do about the living. Um, and then this is the slide which looks at the threats. There you can see the left-hand column, agricultural and pastoral. Uh, that's the one that has the greatest threats and the greatest disturbances. And then as you move down, there's uh, natural and the infrastructure and transport, and then looting, industrial, productive, domestic. domestic. And at the moment, this is just a representation of the current database. So it's still early days. Even though I've just said we've done nearly 100,000 records, it's still early days in the project. And if the funders would just like to close their ears for a moment, this project is only three years old. I started a project in English Heritage in 1988, which we were supposed to finish in 2008, and it's only got halfway through now. And that was mapping the whole of England. So how long it's going to take to map the whole of the Middle East and North Africa? We will all be very, very old. Uh, that's just, again, you'll hear more about this from David Mattingly uh, when David's talking about uh, the, the threats in, in Libya and North Africa. So I won't say any more about that. But uh, from the records we've got at the moment, 32% of all sites recorded in Libya are affected by agricultural activities. Um, I haven't really got time to go into loot and antiquities, but this site, this is Jury Europus uh, in Syria up on the Euphrates. You've seen other pictures of Apamea, um, but this is just showing the industrial scale of the looting that's gone on at Jury Europus. So if there's a priority for me, even though I'm not a Roman archaeologist, 
uh, it would be to, to investigate just how much of that incredibly important site has been damaged and destroyed. But every black dot you can see on there is a looting pit. Um, and I, I, if I had time, I'd take you through. We have Neil Brody working for us. He's the, prob probably the UK expert on looting and trafficking. Um, his view is we have to reduce the demand for the artifacts. We won't stop it by telling people not to loot. And his view is that the collectors are the real looters. Because people want to have those artifacts, that's why looting happening. So we've got to reduce the demand for uh, um, uh, the, the, the artifacts in the first place. So he's hoping to come up with an ethical consumption market. Um, it would take too long to go all th through all of that. But the idea is that it's a self-regulated system. Um, that they would, item three there, agree punitive sanctions for non-compliance. But it would have to be, uh, number one there, a trade association self-regulation. It won't happen if it's import, imposed from above or by law. Um, but equally, under UK law, it is illegal to handle stolen goods. So if you are wanting to trade in those antiquities, you are uh, open to prosecution. Okay, so what are we trying to do? Expectations and end game. Obviously, we want to improve the understanding and protection of the cultural heritage. And the bottom line there, national online inventories or historic environment records. That's what the Endangered Archaeology Database can provide. And although we've got a multinational database, it, it's perfectly possible, and we've talked to a number of countries now, but particularly Yemen, where you can have your own national historic database, which is digital, available online if you want it. Um, won't go into that, but I want to end just by saying that training is really important. This was a training course we did in Jordan in 2008, or nine, can't remember, uh, funded by Alesco, but we've now got the Cultural Protection Fund, 1.7 million for training in Tunis, Amman, Egypt, and Beirut. Um, and Matt Hobson is here, for, who's been running the training, and Mohammed Kanawi, who will be running the training, is somewhere in the audience. If he's there, he's way at the back. Um, and we're hoping that Abdulamir Al-Hamdani will join the Durham team in the next few weeks. So that's 2018 is going to be a really busy year for training. Uh, here we are in Tunis uh, on November the 1st, and there isn't a date there, but that's also the, the, the Tunisian training first, and this was the training of the Libyans. Um, so training in the media region so that both knowledge and expertise are transferred. That's what we're trying to do. And I'm going to end with this slide, which is a picture of, as you can see down the bottom, David Mattingly and I, uh, many, many years ago, working on the Libyan Valleys project. And that's really by way of introducing David for next time. Um, I'm not sure we could reconstruct that now, could we, David? Um, and if you haven't seen at the back of your... Uh, uh, program, there's a whole page on the Amina training and the people who've invo been involved. Many of the people who are listed here are in the audience, part of the conference, so do talk to them. It's now lunchtime. Thank you. Thank you.